Good Monday afternoon. This is Ozarks at Large for January 10th, 2022 on your public radio station, KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. I'm Kyle Kellams. Just ahead today, a call for artwork for an exhibition next month in Rogers examining the Black experience. We're still talking about artists who want to show uh, artwork or uh, writings, poetry, music even, that is reflective of the African diaspora, right? So there, that is inclusive of so many ranges of, of peoples. And in our second half hour, Randy Dixon with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History brings us audio of the legendary broadcaster Bud Campbell. From weather to football, he was one of the most familiar figures in Arkansas for 20 years. The Arkansas Department of Health reports just more than 4,300 new cases of COVID-19 in yesterday's report. That total is more than twice the new cases included in the previous Sunday report and a tenfold increase in the ADH's count from two Sundays ago. Active cases are nearing 60,000 across the state. That's the peak since the pandemic first arrived in Arkansas almost 23 months ago. Nine additional deaths were added to the state's total number of fatal cases of the virus. Sales of medical marijuana in Arkansas continue to be robust. The Arkansas Department of Finance and Administration reports the state collected $34.5 million in tax revenue from medicinal marijuana sales last year. Arkansas spent nearly $265 million on medical marijuana last year. Total sales since May 2019 now exceed $500 million. Governor Asa Hutchinson tells Talk Business and Politics his state budget includes more funding for law enforcement, more funding for developmentally disabled, as well as putting more money in financial reserves. The governor is scheduled to deliver his proposed balanced budget to the Arkansas legislature tomorrow. Governor Hutchinson also told Talk Business and Politics he's not seeking additional tax cuts. Meanwhile, Governor Hutchinson is making the case nationally for what he describes as traditional Republican strength. On CNN's State of the Union yesterday, the governor said the Republican Party might be in a strong position in this year's elections, but could suffer in future races by downplaying last year's insurrection at the United States Capitol in Washington, D.C. We're going to win, I feel comfortable, the GOP uh, in the short term. We're going to have a good 2022. I'm excited about the elections. Uh, but at the same time, if we want to be a party of strength over the long term, then we've got to not diminish and minimize the consequences of January 6th. Governor Hutchinson, who is term limited from running for governor for a third term, has said he intends to remain involved in politics at the national level. But he has not specified whether that includes a potential bid for the presidency. The United Way of Northwest Arkansas board is now led by Helena L. Gadsden. She was elected chair for a term that begins this month. Past chair Joe Lloyd continues to serve on the board. Gaddison has been on the United Way of Northwest Arkansas board since 2019. The Arkansas Razorback women's basketball team is no longer winless in Southeastern Conference play. Yesterday, the Razorbacks defeated Missouri 83-73 to improve to 1-2 in conference play and 11-5 overall. The Razorback men, however, are still looking for their first SEC win this season after dropping to 0-3 Saturday with a loss at Texas A&M, or to Texas A&M. That game was in Bud Walton Arena. And don't look for clouds overhead for the next 36 hours at least. Sunshine today with highs from the upper 40s to lower 50s. Clear conditions tonight with lows around 29 throughout the region. Sunny again tomorrow, highs from 50 to 57. This is Ozarks at Large. Next month, an art exhibition examining the black experience will be hosted by Into View Art Gallery and Studios, the Rogers Experimental House, and Java Dudes Coffee Company, all in downtown Rogers. 
Reflections of the Black Experience will combine art, historical research, and creative writing. The exhibition will be curated by Kenya Christian, artist and owner of Into View Gallery. Last week, we reached her by phone and asked her about how local and regional artists can submit their work for the exhibition. And we also asked about the inspiration for the exhibition. She says the idea began when she read the 1619 Project from the New York Times. A friend, Gwen Kelly, who has since moved away from the area, wanted a way to further bring the 1619 Project to the region. It's an examination of the history of the practice of enslaving people in the United States. Kenya Christian says, I thought, well, art would be a great way to do that. And so I set about picking out um, what I found the most impactful to me personally from that project and then curating art from local artists to, to, that matched what was impactful to me personally, right? So it, it wasn't me trying to um, change people's minds. It was really a way to introduce the history and the substance of that project to people in a way that I thought would be easily digestible. And that's through local artists, people that they would know personally telling the story. And so as a curator, that's what I was looking for really was what was impactful to me and how I was uh, presenting that project. Now, going forward this year, because certain people, certain entities have decided to make the 1619 project a political hot rod, you know, I have to be very careful how I take the next iteration of this uh, exhibit and go beyond the bounds of that project really and, and make it more localized to our community here. And so that's what I'm looking for this, this time around is art from artists locally that will take that study or take that project to the next level, which is where we're at in this time, in 2021, 2022. Yeah. You know, and just considering from your first introduction to the 1619 Project to now, in the grand scheme of things, doesn't seem that long ago. But when you consider what has happened, what has transpired, it seems like a massive gulf between the introduction and now. At least it does to me, does it to you? Yes, it absolutely does. And it's taken on, it's been um, given, or, or motives have been put on it that are way out of line. Um, and I think it was a way to change, honestly, the, just my personal opinion, I think it was a way to change the narrative of what was happening in the spring, summer of 2020 with COVID and uh, the murder of George Floyd, uh, the, the murder of Ahmaud Aubrey. all these things were happening. And it was like, let's change the subject. Let's attack this and say it's un-American, right? And that it's all of these are just theories and opinions. And, and, and take even including the history, right? So now we, we don't even want to talk about the history. We want to figure a way to erase the history that has always been taught in schools, right? And, and we want to take that out too, because now it's a theory. And I just, it's incredible to me how, like you said, it's only been a few years, but because so much has happened and, and things have become so twisted that it seems like it was forever ago. So what kind of prompt or suggestion or request do you make of local artists who you'd like to have works included in this show? Right. So I still using basically the same prompt, right? So we're still talking about artists who want to show uh, artwork or uh, writings, poetry, music even, that is reflective of the African diaspora, right? So there, that is inclusive of so many ranges of, of peoples that have uh, been brought here, were brought here to, the, to these shores or migrated here or have um, ancestry that is all uh, shades of brown and in between. So we wanna talk about that on the cultures that that represents. I want to highlight black history, obviously, if we can localize it, that's even better. 
what is black history as it relates to the state of Arkansas in, in our area. Um, black culture, uh, music, theater, uh, sports, um, industry, cuisine. innovation, cuisine, yes, all of that. Want to highlight that. And, and, and I want artists of all ages, of all races, um, to, to be able to show appreciation and reflection of that in their artwork, right? Because as I, I talked to several uh, classes of students here in Northwest Arkansas about uh, this exhibit over the course of the last two years, and the one thing I always left the students with is that they are all part of the Black experience as well. I mean, uh, Black history is American history. And so they are part of that. They, If they experienced any part of or, or uh, love any part of Black culture, who watch Black athletes, who who didn't see what happened to George Floyd, right? So they, they experience all of this. And so how do they see it? What's their take on it? I wanna hear their narrative and, and then we can have conversations about it. And I think it's more important if it's not just black artists or artists of color who are presenting their art, it's, you know, let's get everybody involved and talk about these things. You mentioned that there has been a, politi- a politicizing of the 1619 project. And we have to, I think you use the word careful. I mean, does that exist somewhere in the back of your mind? Just that, you know, this is a subject that some people, many of us have different uh, approaches to it or introductions. There could be controversy involved. Right. So yes, I have to be, <laughs> uh, yes, there so in, in talking about this particular exhibit and, and opening it up to reference historical uh, data, it, it will all, I will keep it that way. So in, in the actual project, it contained essays that were personal reflections of your thoughts of the people who wrote those essays so it was their commentary based on the history, right? And so because of the nature of people's opinions of that, we'll just have to leave that out, right? And keep it to the facts. And facts and history, what's been recorded, what's always been taught in schools, it, it can't be denied. And, and there are other things like, for instance, I'll tell you, I included lots of images from the Library of Congress. So who who of us can argue what's there, you know, supplied to us from the Library of Congress? I was very careful to um, use that source um, judiciously and also to make sure everything is cited correctly and, and really try to pull it in and show what happened here in the state of Arkansas in particular. So we can't deny those things because they happened. And there and there is value in talking about those things, right? So that we don't continue to commit the same atrocities just packaged in a different way or said a different way. And I feel like that's why it's so important to talk about this because we can see some of those things unfolding right before our very eyes the things that led up to, um, the things that we fought so hard or that people fought so hard to get rid of are still going on today. And so how can we fix that? We've got to talk about it. Kenya Christian is curating the upcoming exhibit, Reflections of the Black Experience. Artists may submit images of their works at artonthebricks.com. Art will be shown in February at Into View Gallery, the Rogers Experimental House, and Java Dudes Coffee Company, all in downtown Rogers. Art should be submitted ideally by the end of this week. Drop-off dates for the selected works are January 22nd and 23rd at the Rogers Experimental House. An opening reception will be hosted by Into View Art Gallery on February 4th, featuring an exclusive wine tasting from black-owned wineries across the country. After the works have been selected, we'll bring you a preview on an upcoming edition of Ozarks at Large. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation.
KUAF is supported by Arcom Plus, offering printing, binding, graphic design, and more. Open 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Monday through Friday. Orders can be submitted via email, telephone, or walk-in service is available. PrintingNWA.com or 444-7711 for additional information. This is Ozarks at Large. It's been almost 50 years since the Buffalo River officially became the Buffalo National River. You might imagine a grand celebration of the anniversary is planned, and you're correct. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich reports on the observations of a half-century of being the first national river. On March 1st, 1972, a major section of the Buffalo River, which flows through Newton, Searcy, Marion, and Baxter counties, was declared our nation's first national river. Today, the popular national park is enjoyed by well over a million people annually who travel to the watershed to hike, cycle, horseback ride, and especially to float. Casey Brandstetter, public information officer for the Buffalo National River, says it's served as a recreational proving ground, welcoming visitors from around the world. That come to see the natural and cultural resources that are protected here and able to have an impact on the way in which these natural and cultural resources are protected for this generation to view and for our future generations to view and enjoy. Planning for the 50th anniversary has been underway at Harrison Park Service Headquarters for well over a year. From the beginning, we knew that this coordinated celebration would be something that we would want to bring in all of our local community partners to help us make sure that anything we were putting together would be sharing the perspectives of everyone who cared about our National Park Unit. Buffalo National River Partners, Buffalo River Historic Jail and Museum, Arkansas Master Naturalists, and Lucky Star Farm are also pitching in, she says. Cultural diversity is reflected in the park's scheduled year-long celebration, starting with the History Weekend, February 26th, when StoryCorps will be in Harrison to collect oral histories from both locals and visitors. Um, From the human history, we are collecting oral histories stories from folks who have lived here for generations, stories from folks who just visited for one weekend and that magical weekend had an impact on their life. We want to make sure that all those oral histories are kept safe and protected. We're gathering those on a specific day in our history weekend. Public talks will take place at Buffalo Point on the geologic history of the watershed, and a presentation on tribal history and current tribal partnerships is planned at St. Joe High School Auditorium. On March 1st, a science symposium will be held at North Arkansas College, including an opening ceremony for the year-long anniversary and a celebration with birthday cake. Come summer, an Art in the Park event is scheduled the second week of June. So we have a whole weekend in our 50th anniversary celebration dedicated to how art is inspired by this public land and how artists are continuing to find that inspiration. Um, From a student film fest that will be occurring at the Kinda Drive-In to a music festival that will be happening in the center of the park around Tyler Bend. Um, to a dance troupe, Mexican-American dance troupe coming through. Referring to Chanelos, Morlenses, Unidos, and Arkansas, Mexican-American dance group from Springdale who will perform at Steel Creek and speak about the inspiration they gather from nature in visiting the Buffalo River. And next autumn, in October, the Park Service is hosting an RX weekend. That you can come for your personal health, that you can come to help maintain the health of the earth, the health of the natural environment around you. We have a prescription of healthiness in our public lands. And that Park RX weekend is an opportunity to partake in it, to get out and be healthy yourself, to go for a hike. We have a really fun challenge this year. It's called the 50 miler challenge. If you can get 50 miles of physical activity, biking, hiking, paddling, in our national park unit during our 50th anniversary. We've got these awesome patches you can earn whenever you go out there and do that. Um, Our Park RX weekend in October is a great time to end your 50-miler journey throughout the year. 
Also on the schedule are photo geocaching scavenger hunt, yoga instructors at Steel Creek and Buffalo Point, a moon party at Tyler Bend Pavilion with telescopes to enjoy the night sky, and on Sunday, a naturalization ceremony will be held at the Ozark Campground Pavilion, welcoming 15 new U.S. citizens. A complete schedule of events is posted on the Park Service's website and Facebook site where you can see the winning logo from Buffalo National River Partners' 50th Anniversary Contest, created by Anna Laura Salinas of Rogers, Arkansas. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. A new mural painted on the Razorback Greenway, the path through Compton Gardens and Arboretum in Bentonville, celebrates both the Buffalo National River's 50th anniversary as well as the river's key conservationist, Dr. Neil Compton. He is hugely responsible for saving the river in 1972 from being dammed into a hydroelectric reservoir. Brandon Bollet, an artist from northwest Arkansas, is working on the mural entitled Buffalo River Float. He'll be working on it through March. Compton Gardens is the former family home and property of Dr. Neil Compton. Visitors can learn more about his history in the Dr. Compton Exhibit Room, which is free and open to the public Monday through Friday. Ferguson hands off to Dickie Martin. Martin over the 35, Martin to the 30, Martin to the 25, Martin all the way to the 22-yard line. Before Chuck Barrett, before Paul Eels, there was Bud Campbell. He did... Play-by-play of Razorback football. He came to Arkansas in 1954 when there were just three television channels in the state. He began his career at KARK, the NBC affiliate. Here to help me talk about Bud Campbell for our first Pryor Center profile of 2022 is Randy Dixon with the Pryor Center. How are you, sir? I'm great. How are you? Very good. Very good. Thanks for doing this for another calendar year. Oh, I'm going to love it. Looking forward to it. Uh, Just to... Mind people, we take archives that are being digitally transferred at the David and Barber Center for uh, Arkansas Oral and Visual History, and we share them with you. Yes, and this week we're going to profile. Uh, he actually predated me at KTV, uh, but was probably uh, the best known person, least most beloved person in the state at the time, even more than governors and anyone else. You know, this was pre-internet, right? Uh, pre-cable. So you, like you said, there were three television stations. It was even before Arkansas PBS. So, uh, you know, the person you watched on TV uh, was like a family member, and he was the biggest of the of the large. Well, and he also had a bigger following than just central Arkansas and the people, because, you know, in, in North Arkansas, for many of us, we couldn't get Little Rock stations, we right. Springfield or Tulsa. But we heard Bud Campbell every week doing play-by-play of football because there weren't many Razorback games that were on television, maybe right. one, maybe two a year. So right. you developed this relationship with him through the radio. Right. And then he became even bigger when uh, ABC yeah. Sports started using him on regional broadcasts. So he he had a reach even beyond Arkansas, but he was he was huge. All right, so he came here in the mid fifties. Do we have any material from? Well, him? believe it or not, we actually have some material from uh, KARK when he was there in nineteen fifty nine, mm. doing a noon show with uh, a lady by the name of Betty Fowler, and. This, this is an interesting program. They're, they're talking about uh, the upcoming event that Hawaii will become the 50th state. But we're in Hawaii. Uh, I was asleep and I was dreaming and I dreamed about beautiful girls you dancing all around. You didn't dream it. It was so. But I scared them off with my conch shell. <laughs> Today, folks, we are going on a trip to Hawaii, our soon-to-be 50th state. And I think it's a trip that all of you will thoroughly enjoy. We're going to talk about the food, the customs. We got some music. We have dancing. In fact, style show too, bud. A style show, a little bit of everything. That shows you how long ago Bud Campbell was a presence in Arkansas. Forty-nine that's right. states. That, that's right, <laughs> and you can see it on our website. He's in, you know, Hawaiian shirt, and they have wow. lays on, and Betty Fowler has a flower in her hair, and. Mm. Uh, it's you know, they're having a big luau, you know, there on the air. So he wasn't just a sports guy. No, no, he he actually that was his big love. But you know, back in those days, you you pretty much had to do everything. You uh, you know, you could be an 
entertainer. You would do weather. Well, it, here he is doing the weather on KARK. We want to take a quick look at our weather, and then we'll examine the market report. Uh, that front is starting to ease on in toward the state of Arkansas, which means that uh, our temperatures will get a little bit cooler, and there does seem to be at least a slight chance of some rain, which is uh, pretty well needed. There was a tornado this morning up in uh, central Wisconsin. No uh, loss of life, but heavy property damage. In the earliest days of television, you didn't have a meteorologist ever doing weather. You had an entertainer. Right. Rip the forecast from the National Weather Service and then just... That's right. And you had, you know, the the forecast maps weren't, you know, animated yes. graphics. Yes. They were chalkboards. Yes. Yeah. Yes. All right. So he was at KARK for a while. Yes. I mean, not just for a few years. He was there for 12 wow. years. Yeah. And then uh, KATV stole him away in 1966 with the promise that he would be sports director. And along with that, he would be the voice of the Razorbacks. And of course, got to know uh, then head coach Frank Burles, and they got to be really good friends. But he would talk to him probably on a daily basis, mm. but at least interview him every week and did his coach's show. But, you know, here's an example of just uh, one of the hundreds of interviews he did with the coach in 1970. Now, the red-white game this Saturday in Little Rock and the one in Fayetteville, uh, uh, those two things probably I know will go a long way toward determining your thinking in the fall, won't they? I believe that they will, like they always do. We, we count the game in Little Rock as, uh, as a real test as to uh, what a boy will do under the pressure of game conditions. And I hope that we'll have a big crowd there that always uh, makes it more like the opening ball game. You see, Bud, we've taken a little, had to take a little different approach because of starting so early. We'll have less days to practice next year than we've had in, in uh, previous years. It's Frank Broyles talking to the legendary Bud Campbell. Bud Campbell, the uh, subject of this week's Prior Center Profile. Yes, and he also interviewed probably every current and past uh, hog player between 1966 and 1974. And um, Lance Allworth, who went on to play for the San Diego Chargers, he was in the you know, 1961 team. He was in town, and here's an interview that Bud did with Lance. In 1961, uh, year last year, we beat TCU here 28-3, to and Lance, something happened the night before that uh, made you play maybe better in that game than you would have played you and Paul Daly. What happened? <laughs> Quite a bit better, Bud. Uh, it's really kind of funny because I think if you remember, uh, they tied uh, Ohio State the week before they played us, and of course we were trying to get ready for them, and I think Paul Dudley and I were really ready to play the game, and uh, they made had bed check over at Hot Springs, and uh, we sneaked out after bed check. We decided we were just a little hungry, so we went out, and uh, we got caught out. And I think Dixie White and uh, Coach Matthews caught us out. And, of course, they threatened us with their lives to tell Coach Brawls, and they were going to kick us off scholarship and scared us to death. They sent us back to our room. We went back to our room, and about 15 minutes later, they came in, and they said, well, uh, we're not, we've decided we're not going to tell Coach Brawls, but uh, if you play a good game, only on that condition. And so uh, he said, you're both going to have to block for each other and run hard and do this and that. And they, we said, just give us the chance. That's all we want. <laughs> so he would be seen almost every night doing the sports. Every night. And then he would, I assume, get on some small engine aircraft and fly into Drake Field to do a Fayetteville game or fly into Lubbock, Texas to do a yes. game. Yeah, wow. Yes. Well, and then uh, every Sunday... Uh, That's right. They, they would fly Coach Broyles in because they would do the coaches' show in the studio uh, in Little Rock and invite the the print media to come and and watch. And what would they do if the weather wasn't cooperating? What if there was a thunderstorm? I don't know because you didn't have Zoom back I, then, right? I, I do know that one year uh, when they were tape delaying hmm. games when there was bad weather and they couldn't fly, they had the state police. Uh, driving <laughs> right. videotapes down. How do you know you're in the South? You use the state police to yes. drive down videotapes <laughs> of football. Exactly. Right. He, you mentioned he talked to so many former Razorbacks. Right, right. And current Razorbacks. Sure. And, he, and here's a current interview from 1969 where he talked to this promising freshman you may have heard of named Joe Ferguson. 
This past year now, uh, Joe, you completed a lot of passes. You set a lot of records for a freshman here at Arkansas. At the same time, you got dumped a lot. I know that your protection was not uh, maybe as good as we would like for it to have been, but you think this probably helped you? Um, I believe that the linemen uh, that are here as freshmen, uh, most of them had never done this type of pass blocking before, and it was something new to them, and that uh, it's going to be something they're going to have to pick up. And um, I believe that toward the end of the year, that they, they did a better job of it, and I believe that they're picking it up a lot better now. So uh, who else have we... Well, he covered other sports, of course, um, and he was good friends uh, with Brooks Robinson, the Oreo great from Little Rock. And in 1966, after they had beat the Dodgers, the Dodgers right. in the World Series, he had this big homecoming uh, in Little Rock and big crowds there to meet him. And Bud talked to him then, and he also snagged Hall of Famer Bill Dickey, oh, okay. who was also there to greet him. So here's that interview. Uh, I certainly appreciate that. I tell you, a lot of nice things have happened to me, uh, especially this year. And But this is the nicest of all, coming home and uh, being uh, welcomed by people you've known all your life. And this is a high point in my uh, career and a high point in my life. Bill Dickey, a Hall of Famer and a fellow who knows a real good baseball player when he sees one. I think, Bill, you're as proud of Brooks as everyone in Arkansas is, aren't you? Bud, you're not kidding. Brooks, I want to say congratulations. We're all proud of you down here, and I know how you felt when you that final out of that uh, World Series game, four straight. Well, you're right, uh, Bill. It was a great thrill, and I tell you, I was really glad to get those four out of the way. I didn't care about going back to Los Angeles to play anymore. <laughs> Two members of the Baseball's Hall of Fame, Brooks Robinson and Bill, Do- uh, Bill Dickey, talking with uh, Bud Campbell. And as long as we're talking baseball, you, you, you sent over a cut with a baseball owner. Yes, and th- this was great. Um, it was August Bush, the old, the the elder August Bush, and um, you know you'd know him from Budweiser beer sure. and then St. Louis Cardinals. But he talked to him in 1966. Our special guest tonight is Mr. August Bush, who is president of the St. Louis Cardinal baseball team, also president and owner of Anheuser Busch. And Mr. Bush, first of all, which do you enjoy the most, the brewery business or the baseball business? Well, now, Bud, that's a pretty tough question. I have to admit to you that uh, one of my great loves and one that I've grown up with longer than I have with baseball happens to be the beer business. But baseball comes an awful close second without any argument. I saw you the day that the Cardinals won the World Series a couple of years ago, and I don't believe I've ever seen a gentleman who reflected as much happiness as you did that particular day. That has to be one of the great thrills for you, doesn't well, it? Well, but I have to admit that it was one of the greatest thrills I ever had in my live-long life. When we finally won that uh, series, it was, uh, I mean, the World Series, and the climax getting into the pennant end of it, and then the real climax of winning the World Series was, to me, the greatest thing that ever happened. He also spoke... Uh, with Joe Lewis, the the heavyweight boxing champ, great boxer. I, I didn't realize that he was the heavyweight champ from thirty seven to forty nine. Yeah, the Brown Bomber. Yeah, yeah. And he just talked to him because he came to town. The opportunity of making more money today. If they were good fighters, if you get find a good fighter now, like Cassius Clay, you could make a lot of money because close circuit now. You know, uh, is a big thing now. Well, when I was fighting, the only money you actually made from the fight was from the live gate. And, and today's gate is very small, but theaters now in the home television that makes it a fighter now makes a lot of money. You think boxers as a group are as hungry as they were back in the 30s? Well, I don't think so because I, I always used to say that, at least the people used to tell me, say to be a, a good fighter, you got to be a hunger fighter. And I used to then think that wasn't wouldn't true, but I seem to think so now because uh, there are no fighters around at all now. Not, they just don't want to fight now. You know, got a lot of guys now, they rest, give them a good job, they rest there. And one who do fight now, they, 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 they fool around, they don't train hard. I think Frazier probably our best fighter today. Better than Jimmy Ellis. I would think so, yes. Okay, you've mentioned that he did other things. He wasn't just sports because in that day, it, you couldn't be specific. You right. Had, you had so many things to cover. Do anything. Right. And, um, and he would just pick up other interviews and cover different events, but here he is at the airport with Miss Arkansas, Donna Connolly from Hope, and she was 
what, Miss Arkansas 1970, and she was on her way to Atlantic City to the Miss America pageant. This is Miss Arkansas, Donna Connolly of Hope, who represented State College of Arkansas in the Miss Arkansas pageant, and leaving Little Rock this morning for Atlantic City, but with a couple of stops in between, I think, huh, Donna? Yes, sir, a few. Where are you going first? I believe our first stop is in Memphis, and then on to Williamsburg, Virginia. Are you excited about all this? Oh, yes, very excited. I guess that it's been sort of a whirlwind for you for the last month, getting your wardrobe ready, working on your talent and so on, hasn't it? You might say so, but it's been very enjoyable. Of course, uh, you'll be competing with some lovely young ladies up there, Donna, but everybody seems to think that you have a real good chance of doing well. How confident are you? I'm going to have a good time and enjoy myself tremendously. If that's how it turns out, great. Right. And she'll be chaperoned, incidentally, by an old friend of mine, uh, Mrs. Betty Fowler. And Betty, this is your third year, I think. It certainly it? is, bud, and nice to see you again. Thank you. And what sort of chance do you feel that Donna has in Atlantic City? Just like that. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. And Donna, the very best of luck to you. Thank you, right, bud. Thank you very much. Accompanying her was Betty it's... Fowler, and she was in that first clip. And so a decade before, they had worked together at KRK, and so uh, it was kind of a little... Yeah. Get together. Yeah, reunion. Speaking of airports, uh-huh. here's another one from an airport, right? Yeah, and this this was too good <laughs> not to use. Uh, and I don't know why he was there. Maybe he was a fan and wanted to do it or that he was the person available to do it. But uh, Carol Channing, you know, of Broadway and film fame, uh, was here to do Hello, Dolly in 1966. Well, as a lot of people know, I'm a, a sports announcer primarily, and our guest is Carol Channing. And I think, Carol, terminology-wise, there are stars and there are superstars. I would put you in the superstar category. In the sport world, too? Well, in the theater <laughs> world. Oh, how <laughs> thank you, bud. Oh, I'm glad to be in Little Rock. This is my first visit, you know. And I'm an honorary citizen. That's a strange thing. This is your first visit, and yet you have given Little Rock publicity all over the world. Through. To the Junior Chamber of Commerce of Little Rock. And the Ladies Club of Little Rock sent me a little rocker. And I still am a member. Carol, I know that a uh, little girl from Little Rock is not included in the musical score of Hello, Dolly, which opens tonight at Robinson Auditorium. Are you going to sneak it in somewhere or not? I wish we could. The unmistakable voice of yes. Carol Channing. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Bud Campbell's career was cut short, tragically. Yes. Yes. He was, what, I think in his uh, early 50s at the time, but it was on October 3rd in the early morning hours of 1974 that uh, he died in a one-car accident in Little Rock. And uh, this is how KATV reported it that evening. Good evening, I'm Fred DeBrine. KATV sports director Bud Campbell was killed early today when the vehicle he was driving went out of control on Rodney Parham Road in western Little Rock. Bud is survived by his wife, Lee, two sons, Buddy and Richie, and a daughter, Debbie. Bud was undoubtedly one of the most familiar persons in Arkansas. He came to Little Rock in 1954 to work for KARK Television. Bud joined KATV in 1966. During his 20 years in the television industry, he handled many assignments and all of them well. Eight years he was at KATV, he was quite prolific, and so I had a hard time narrowing down uh, the interviews. So, you know, I left out just a few uh, to mention Mickey Mantle, Bear Bryant, George Kell, Ben Crenshaw, Lee Trevino. Wow. I mean, he he uh, worked hard. Yeah. <laughs> but um, if you like, I could bring some more of those interviews next week. I'd love to hear week. Mantle and Bear Bryant, George Kell, who's in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Exactly. Let's do that. Okay. Well, well, that'll be next week. All right. Randy Dixon is with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. He's with us almost every Monday with archives from the Pryor Center. Thanks, Randy. Thank you. As COVID cases surge, many Americans are tuning out the pandemic. Public health messages are running into indifference and disengagement. They might be done with the pandemic. The pandemic's not done with them. I'm Mary Louise Kelly. The challenges of addressing public health in a time of pandemic fatigue. This afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. All Things Considered, today from 3 to 6 on KUAF 91.3. And you can listen by asking your smart speaker to please play KUAF.
one of the great contemporary blues guitarists and singers of our time, headed our way later this year. Tab Benoit, a native of Houma, Louisiana, will be at Temple Live in Fort Smith in March, Thursday, March 10th, to be exact. The venue announced this morning tickets will go on sale to the public Friday morning, beginning at 10 a.m. More information can be found at templelive.com. Friday, by the way, also the first day of ticket sales for a Walmart amp show in Rogers this spring, which was announced Friday. It features country headliners Miranda Lambert and Little Big Town. Those tickets also go on sale Friday at 10 a.m. That show scheduled for Sunday night, May 8th. And a pair of Asgardians will be on stage at Arts Live Theater early next month. The production of Hammered, a Thor and Loki play, is from February 4th through the 13th. The plot? Well, the Thunder God, Thor, is stressed about final exams, and his brother Loki, the Norse god of mischief, finds himself under a different kind of pressure. The play will be produced at the Arts Live Theater on Sang Avenue in Fayetteville. You can find out more at artslivetheater.com. A community network of volunteers measuring precipitation to benefit meteorologists, hydrologists, engineers, builders, and farmers. It's scratching the surface on KUAF. I'm Pete Hartman. It's called COCO Raws and stands for the Collaborative Rain, Hail, and Snow Network. This group was born in 1998 in hopes of doing a better job of mapping and reporting intense storms. Chris Bunano works with the National Weather Service in North Little Rock and is the state's co-coordinator of the COCO Raws Project. July of 1997, there was a flooding incident in Fort Collins, Colorado, and the precipitation fell as such, where it was a very a fine gradient between very heavy rain over a foot of rain and almost no rain. The folks out there decided, hey, let's uh, maybe try to get a, a volunteer network started of a obtaining precipitation reports, and over time it spread in all 50 states as well as several other countries. Chris says the need for as much data as possible on these rainfall discrepancies is evident with some of the heavy rainfall and flooding in recent months. We've seen several cases this year in the Mid-South and in the uh, southeast portions of the country where we had flooding events like that. Um, they happened to be even more dangerous because these uh, particular events happened to occur at night where uh, flooding can provide additional hazards. Bunano says a wide area of reporting is needed to get a good idea of areas that would be susceptible to flash flooding episodes. That can help us determine what areas are particularly uh, vulnerable to flash flooding. On a daily basis, we'd be collecting uh, rainfall, snow, and perhaps hail data, if, if that could be obtained, using a, a common rain gauge and entering that data. Different, different communities can use this data, not only meteorologists, they might be uh, agricultural community uh, participants, the hydrologists, recreational community folks. Anyone can use this data. It's all freely available to use uh, for whatever need you might have. Chris Bunano with the National Weather Service in North Little Rock. You can learn more about the Coco Raz Project at the website C-O-C-O-R-A-H-S dot com. I'm Pete Hartman. Scratching the Surface is a production of KUAF Public Radio in Fayetteville, a service of the University of Arkansas. You can listen to past episodes at our website, KUAF dot com. This is Ozarks at Large. Late last year, Arkansas-based Heifer International became the newest Savory Global Network Hub with the Savory Institute. The accreditation allows Heifer's Ranch in Perryville, Arkansas, to serve as a training site for holistic management and regenerative agriculture. Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth spoke with Heifer Ranch Manager Donna Kilpatrick about what the new partnership means for Arkansas farmers and the fight against climate change. Yeah, so what it allows us to do is to basically teach holistic management at the ranch. So we can have people come in and, you know, go through the holistic management planning and monitoring process, which would include uh, holistic plan grazing, holistic land planning, holistic financial planning. Um, And then there's also a separate part, which is the ecological monitoring, which is called EOV. Um, which stands for Ecological Outcome Verification. And the plan is really to start with our project farms that work with Grassroots Farmers Cooperative, uh, to start with them first um, and to go and monitor their land so that we have a baseline 
You know, we always talk about our practices are very um, ecological friendly and we're, we're managing in a way that's, you know, healing uh, the environment, but we need a baseline to show where we're starting on, on our farms and if we're trending regeneratively. And EOV is the scientific process that shows that. Right. And when you're talking about things like regenerative farming and holistic management of land, you know, can you break down what those terms mean for people who maybe, uh, maybe don't hear that very often or, or don't understand it or just know it on maybe a broader sense, you know, when you're digging into what that really means when it comes to managing land and farming? Yeah. Um, for me, really, regenerative agriculture is a system of farming that is, is ecologically restorative. So all of the imp- inputs that we do on the land, that they're always thinking about uh, the greater context of the land that we're managing and if it's going to allow, if it's going to basically shepherd lots of different components within the ecosystem to be better, to be to function better. Yeah. And then, um, you know, you, you said that the, this project will allow you to have trainings and, and to teach uh, some of your project managers and, and farmers, you know, who's eligible for those uh, trainings and um, what what's going to be offered to them? Yeah. So I, I wish, you know, I wish we could get past COVID so that we can start really opening up uh, the ranch. And, I, and that is happening slowly. We haven't offered any of the holistic management courses online yet. I don't know if we will do that. I know that we're going to do that in person, um, I just don't know what the timing is. I would assume we're looking at late spring and who is eligible for those classes, anyone who wants to come. Ideally, it would be people, my hope, because there are savory hubs, um, you know, all over the United States, but also all over the world. My hope would be that people would choose to go to a hub where that matches their eco-region, because I think that the context there is going to make a lot more sense when you're looking at the plants and the pastures, when you're looking at soil types, that's going to make a lot more sense for those people to be in their eco-region um, that best fits the land that they manage. We're going to really pretty much start definitely EOV with our grassroots farmers, um, but holistic management classes will be um, available to the public, anyone who's interested in this work. And then uh, just, you know, talking about uh, how this is addressing climate change, can you break down sort of some things that people maybe don't know or understand about how farming contributes to climate change and ways that farming can be more sustainable and um, maybe combat climate change and how this project or partnership is addressing those issues? You know, we're talking about agriculture and how agriculture has the potential to be one of the leaders in combating Mm -hmm. climate change. There's so many different areas where it can be beneficial in terms of cooling the earth. One thing that I find fascinating is just thinking about water retention. And this is something that we've seen here at the ranch. Um, When I started working at the ranch, we had heavy rainfalls that would result in fields with standing water. They look like ponds. Since we've implemented holistic plant grazing and we've really focused on, you know, soil health, mm-hmm. diversity of plants, cover crops, we've really implemented cover crops. Since we've done that, we've seen an increase in our soil organic matter by a point plus in a year and a half, uh, which is substantial because for every point that you increase in soil organic matter, you're increasing your water holding capacity in the soil by 20,000 gallons per acre. What I really love about it is it takes what I've seen as a land manager out and about and shows the science of why I'm seeing what I'm seeing. And, you know, put a shovel into the ground now And it's not perfect, but it's a lot better than it was four years ago. And the soil is very spongy. You can see, uh, you know, lots of of insects and worms and that kind of thing. You didn't see that four years ago. So it's really exciting to me. And, um, you know, for Arkansas, because so much of our economy and, and just being an Arkansan is about 
agriculture and, and access to land. Uh, you know, have you been able to have p- talks or conversations with with farmers in the state or are there ways that you're hoping to integrate this project and this partnership with them more broadly? Is that something that you're looking at? Yeah, I mean, I think in the future, absolutely, we're a brand new hub. We're about as new as you can get. This, you know, we just were, we just finished our accreditation a couple of months ago. Um, so I think in the future, absolutely, we're going to be out and about talking with uh, various farms um, and getting people involved. So I see that in the future for sure. Is it, you know, maybe, I don't know if you've had any conversations with um, farmers or, or agricultural industries just like to change their minds about farming or the ways that they farm and to get them to to maybe look at a more regenerative or holistic view of that the the fascinating and really exciting thing is is that i've been farming for many 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 years um i haven't seen as much excitement about anything in agriculture as i have regenerative and hopefully that is because of the fact that it is, uh, you know, it has the potential to cool the earth. But there's a lot of people that are finally very much on board with acting quickly. And there's a lot of interest in regenerative agriculture. And then, you know, finally, just what do you hope that this partnership uh, becomes in the next, you know, 5, 10, 15 years? What, what's your vision for this partnership? I hope that it opens up doors for more collaboration and understanding about holistic management, about how holistic management can be applied, and that it helps them be able to really make decisions that are in line with their context and their North Star, whatever it is that they really want in life. Um, that they're able to apply the decision-making framework um, to get them there. I hope people come visit us. Uh, Definitely go to our YouTube channel um, and keep your eyes out for uh, workshops and opportunities in the future. Also, if there are any farmers out there in the area that are interested in having our team of EOV accredited monitors come out to do some baseline testing on your farm, we would love to do that for you. All right. Well, thank you very much for talking with me, Donna. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. That was Donna Kilpatrick, ranch manager and land steward for Heifer International, speaking with Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth. Daniel Carruth's stories for Ozarks at Large are produced inside the Karen Taha News Studio at the Carver Center for Public Radio. By the way, you can hear Daniel Carruth deliver the latest news from across our region every weekday morning at 5.30 and 7.30 inside Morning Edition on KUAF. And every weekday morning at 6.30 and 8.30, Pete Hartman has the Community Spotlight, keeping tabs on what nonprofits throughout our region are doing. That's every weekday morning as well during Morning Edition on KUAF. This is KUAF 91.3, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Rogers, and Alma. Ozarks at Large is a production of KUAF. You can listen to KUAF anywhere, anytime with the free KUAF app for iPhone and iPad. Timothy Dennis produced today's show. Contributors today included Jacqueline Froelich, Daniel Carruth, and Randy Dixon with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. You can learn more about the center. Just put Pryor Center into a search engine. Our theme is written and performed by Daryl Sean. It's called The First Hurrah. Additional material in today's show contributed by the hardworking news staff at KUAR Public Radio for Central Arkansas and Little Rock. We'll be back with you tomorrow at noon and 7 p.m. for a brand new daily edition of Ozarks at Large from inside the Anthony and Susan Oy News Studio. I'm Kyle Kellums. Thanks for being with us.